Welcome to Legends of Grayskull, the Masters of the Universe podcast that dives deep into the lore of Eternia, Etheria, and more. Join your hosts, Matthew Dooch and Sean Scavarna, as they discuss the most powerful stories the universe has to offer. News, remasterings, and more are just ahead on Legends of Grayskull. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of Legends of Grayskull, the fan podcast where we discuss the history, the mystery, the magic, and mythology of He-Man, She-Ra, Eternia, Etheria, Nordor, Primus, New Adventures, Old Adventures, Lady Bird, comics, mini-comics, UK annuals, anything and everything you can think of with that He-Man, She-Ra, Masters of the Universe, Princess of Power, that Filmation logo right across the screen. I'm Matthew Dooch. Unfortunately, Sean Skavarna cannot be with us today, but luckily we've got a special guest host. Uh, let's all give a warm Legends of Grayskull welcome to the director of Powers of Grayskull, Nintendo Quest, action and figure adventure, and so much more. Host of the Jay and Rob Toy Show, uh, our great, wonderful brother to the north, uh, Mr. Rob McCallum. How you doing today, Rob? doing well my goodness there is a lot of he-man just listening to your intro oh i feel like i need a pot of coffee to catch up with with that it, but yes thank you for for having me a guest host this is a title i did not expect i thought i would be a little cameo appearance saying hi how's it going i've got this thing happening you may like it you may not like it but you'll you'll probably like it no so here i am thank you here at legends of gray school we're all in this together so you come on and you're right here with me, and sh- well, maybe just slightly below. But you're right there. The pedestal's there. We're all right there. With I, the I like a, I, I like great. somewhere to grow. I, I need, yeah. you know, some motivation to get up there. I don't need to be even keel. I can be bottom <laughs> rung, and I'm just as happy. It's exactly. okay. You made it here, though, So, and we're happy to have you. So, um, obviously, the big thing on everybody's mind is faking filmation. So we'll get to that oh, a little bit that? later. What what is that? What I've, is I've that? heard about that. I I think you've heard a lot about it, and hopefully you're going to tell us even more today. Okay, okay. I'll uh, I'll see what I can remember when we get to that part. <laughs> oh God, I hope I don't blow it. <laughs> Nothing. You you wouldn't let James down, and I know that you know that, and James knows that. So, um, but first, what we'd like to do every time somebody comes on first, we like to get we like to know a little bit about. It. All right, if we're going to talk masters, we're going to talk documentaries, I need to know who Rob is. So, um, as much as you're comfortable giving us, um, basically, just a, just a quick bio, uh, you know, name, age, occupation, location, if you want. Um, and then, really, we like to know, um, how long have you been into masters? Did you ever get out of masters and what drew you back to masters? I think those three questions kind of gives us your motu biography. Sure. Uh, well, as you said, my name is Rob McCallum. I hail from Canada, though I'm a dual citizen. I lived in the U S for a good chunk of time, about a decade, and then returned to the great white North about four years ago. Uh, now I have a family here. And He-Man has always been a part of my life. I'm 39, so I was born in 81. And Canada always got stuff like a year or two later, six months to a year, depending on rollout. So when everything started hitting shelves in the U.S., we were delayed a bit, which is great for me because I got to grow up just a little bit behind the curve. And 
even after those three or four banner years of Masters mm -hmm. toys, you know, they were still on the shelves for a, for a long time. So very heavily influenced my childhood. Uh, the Filmation cartoon in particular influenced the way that I played with the toys. And then a real sad thing happened. My, my parents got divorced and I was somewhat whisked away in the middle of the night by my grandparents. And I could only take what I could grab and, and keep with me. Oh. And by the time my grandparents tried to go back and get all my other toys, because I had a, a near complete run from what I understand, you know, even Randor and the Sorceress at that point, oh. uh, it was all gone. It was all gutting. gone. Absolutely all of it. Gutting. Mm -hmm. I basically only grabbed, I think, a handful of superpowers, superpowers Batmobile. May, there may have been like Grizzler or something like that. Uh, not a lot. And that's probably when I stopped playing with Masters and it was right around the time TMNT was coming out. So it's just like, oh, wow, this thing was blowing my mind. And Captain Power, too. It's like, yes, this is, this is all fun. This is all great. I want to get into this. There's so much about TMNT that borrows from the Masters DNA. It was such an easy evolution to go there. Yep. And real Ghostbusters, too, to different extents. And so it wasn't until probably the mid-90s when I started researching like he meant again oh remember that show and i remember a couple of video stores started going out of business in the mid to late 90s and they had he-man cartoons on tape the magic yes. window stuff and i picked up two or three of those and like putting them on for the first time having not seen this show in 10 years was just whoa i remember yep. all this and getting the chills yep. and the feels as, as adam walks forward out of the shadows at the beginning and of course the thing that always did it for me is that filmation logo at the beginning mm. <laughs> You knew you were like, in for oh, gold. It, it cues you up yes. for everything that's about to come. And like just talking about it, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Every and time. That was it. That was it. it. It was understanding, trying to figure out what episodes were out there. How can I get more tapes? Are there other video stores that are going out of business? And yep. then I really didn't go hardcore because I was only like 15 or 16 years old. Didn't have a ton of disposable income. But around the turn of the century, there was already starting rumors to be of this right. new He-Man show that was happening. And I was like, oh my God, no way. <laughs> and I, at that point, I had started buying up a lot of the toys again. The local shop here had them. I mean, I was getting Scareglow for like six bucks. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. just, in a, just in a loose bin, you know, nobody really knew any different. The Halberd, the Cape, everything, you know. Yeah, I got it. So I, I, I remember only being like 10 figures short at that point. It's like, oh my God, I got like my whole collection <laughs> back. Right. And that was the time to do it. I remember I picked up from a comic shop, I picked up a slime pit that I never had as a kid. Uh, mint in box, I opened it, um, and it was like 12, 15 bucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. nothing. You know, And but that's what it was. It was just, I wanted to experience what I didn't have as a kid. And I remember the Mike Young cartoon, the 2002, 2000X, whatever your mm -hmm. vernacular preference is, came out and my friend Jay, who features in a lot of the stuff that I do, and we do our toy show podcast that you mentioned, he had taped the beginning, the three-part mm -hmm. episode that aired on Cartoon Network in the summer. I think it was August. And yeah, he watched right. it, and I came over after work. He's like, oh, dude, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? He's like, it's so good. And that's yep. all he would say. Yep. And so – you know, we had a couple beers and we basically went up into his old old school bedroom because he was still <laughs> living at home and, and we put the tape on and it was just like silence for 90 minutes. And he had already seen it, but he was still like yeah. hooked, brought right into it. And and that's what really probably ignited me as a He-Man fan 
which right. is different than just growing up with something. You grow up with something, you can like it, but it's hard to call yourself a fan at, you know, six, seven, eight years old. Mm-hmm. A fan is when you, I think, actively are making the choice to continually surround yourself by this thing when you don't have to. So easy to identify in stuff like sports, of course. Yes. But you can still take that same ideology and, and wrap it around the world of pop culture. So between recollecting the vintage run in the early 2000s and then the Mike Young cartoon coming out, it's like that's when it really kicked into overdrive. And I don't even think at that point I had known about New Adventures, but I had never seen it. Right. Uh, so discovering that too was was a trip and never hating it. Just like, oh, that's a different version of He-Man. Yes. That's cool. You know, just <laughs> accepting it, is- it for what it is. It doesn't have to be, oh, this isn't my He-Man or like even with the Mike Young cartoon, it's not right. like oh, I don't like this, this isn't that, because there's obviously a lot of homages to the filmation stuff, but mm-hmm. I always just kind of like every iteration and, and try to find the things that, that really work about it rather than, you know, douse a certain, like a certain pail of mud on it because it isn't exactly the way that it should be. Nothing will be the way that you remember or feel. So nope. try to find why it works for what it does. Even and Thundercats that- Roar should have probably some <laughs> redeeming features, maybe. Oh, I'm not going to touch Roar, but I think I think you got some words of wisdom, stuff we brought up on the show before. It's, you know, stop stop comparing them all. Like, nothing's going to hit that filmation magic because, you know, we're not the same person we were. The industry's not the same thing it was. Um, and it's just, it's a different time. You can't judge it by that. You can't put uh, filmation against Mike Young Productions. A different... Agreed. I mean, even in... I always like getting, um, whenever I get guests from other countries, I like to talk about this because I know, especially with, you know, Masters being, you know, Mattel's U.S.-based, Filmation was U.S.-based, I really like to hear about what it was like. So, here in the U.S., and you probably don't know my backstory, I'm sure you haven't watched the show before, but I'm actually younger than you are, I was born in 85, so all of my growing up was the Magic Window, the RCA, the VHSs. I saw half of an episode on USA Network at my grandma's one time. That was the only television episode I saw. Everything else was the VHSs, the storybooks, all that. Um, and it was a great time for me because I was at the tail end of everything here. So I was getting all these hand-me-downs from like uh, older cousins and, you know, Friends of my mom, she uh, their older kids got out of it, so I got boxes with like Snake Mountain Fright Zone in it. Um, so that was really cool. But um, so, what was it like in Canada? For I mean, I know you said that they were kind of six months to a year behind, um, but like we had filmation on every afternoon here, Monday through Friday. Is that how it aired up there? Um, did you guys get all yeah. the episodes or? Yeah, I want to say that it, it, that's how it aired. I, I distinctly remember like that summertime vibe as a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Again, raised by my grandparents, they had a pool in their backyard. And I, I remember swimming kind of after lunch until a certain point where I was like, oh, He-Man's going to be on. And then like rushing inside and waiting for the Dukes of Hazard to, <laughs> to end for, for He-Man. And then I think it was Transformers that was on after. Right. And just watching that for the hour. And then it'd be close to dinner time. Um it was very much along the lines of, of something like that. I don't know if they got all the episodes. I don't know okay. if we were watching from an American station because where I live in southwestern Ontario, we routinely picked up signals from Detroit and Cleveland. Oh, okay. So I could have been easily watching an American feed versus a, a Canadian feed. The 2002 gotcha. stuff, 
that was definitely from a Canadian broadcaster that picked up the rights to it. Uh, and it aired routinely on Saturday morning, uh, which was great because I know in the U.S., the 2002 oh. Mike Young series jumped around a lot and people yes. like didn't know when it was on and when they could find it because the ratings were all over the place. But the ratings are going to be all over the place if you keep jumping it around. So exactly. fortunately, I got to watch the whole run consistently of of 2002 as a, as a college guy. So and, that was okay. And you guys lucked out because... Um... Your station did it the right way and played all of season one episodes, uh, ending on that cliffhanger of Council of Evil Part 2, whereas in the U.S., we Cartoon Network felt that kids wouldn't understand a cliffhanger, and so we didn't actually get to see Council of Evil until uh, season two started. So that was... Well, that's not really great, though, because we no, got a cliffhanger horrible. and had to wait. We had to wait, even well, though it was the right way to do it. But like you said, but to me, it, I think that was a big misstep because Cartoon Network, like you said, they're already worried about the ratings. They're jumping all over, which is hurting the ratings. And then you end off with, um, it would have either been The Island or Separation. I'm sorry, I can't pull out the exact episode. Instead of a two-parter that leads you on the cliff, cliffhanger, where any kids that were watching it would have been like, you know, I got to keep an eye out for season two. You know, there's a reason seasons yeah. end on cliffhangers. Um but the funny thing is, is this, like you said, this was the days, early 2000s, I got on a, a torrent sharing site and some lovely Canadian had uploaded it. And so I, I downloaded it and saw it um, when it was supposed to be. So, but it just, it's, it's just great how the internet uh, has brought everybody together. Um but so obviously there was a lot of difference between the way filmation came out and nowadays. I mean, it's it's a bygone era of television. Even like you mentioned, the real Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like that was a whole different time. And we even talked about it last episode. But with me and Sean, we talked about the afternoon blocks, the Saturday morning cartoons, and all that has gone by the wayside. And I think this mm -hmm. is the perfect opportunity for you to launch into telling us what faking filmation is all about because i think it ties all into this and that's really why we went down that rabbit hole last episode yeah and again the goosebumps are coming back because you get it it's so clear that you get where i'm coming from and what i'm hoping to do with this documentary um for those that don't know you gave a lovely intro at the beginning i am a pop culture documentary filmmaker I've done projects on video games, uh, Nintendo Quest, video game box art. I've done projects on heavy metal, uh, particularly a live concert in the biopic for Kitty, which is an all-female band from yep. our area. I've done action figure adventure, a 10-part series. You can get the Blu-ray in limited quantities right now in Big Bad Toy Store. I love pop link culture, down, whatever it is. Below. Oh, cool. There you go. Look at that. I'll send you your two cents for that, for that click. Nice. Um, that's what I get. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'd been dying to get into the world of, of animation and cartoons. We got to do a little bit of it with power of gray skull, the definitive history of he-man and the masters of the universe, which is on Netflix. Uh, and after, you know, me and my colleagues were able to do power of gray skull and get it on Netflix. I thought, well, I don't know that there's going to be another he-man documentary I ever want to do. So I kind of want to leave it on the floor. And we, we covered a lot of ground in that 90 minute, two hour film. And then of course, Mr. E-Talk comes along. And now James yep. is somebody that I had been 
tracking or keeping an interest in since around 2008 or so with Serial Geek, which mm-hmm. is his magazine, you know, dedicated to 80s cartoons, bringing in, you know, professional illustrators and guest columnists and putting together basically everything that you would expect to get from a podcast, but in a nice, shiny, high quality produced publication. High quality. And from that point on, he'd always kind of been on my radar to the point that when we did decide to go forward with Power of Grayskull, I'm like, we have to get J.G. Talk. This guy knows everything specifically about the cartoons, stuff mm-hmm. by filmation, and can talk about the legacy and impact, which is, you know, one of the goals as well. So I thought that would be done. And then I started shooting action figure adventure. And I wanted James because he was going to be at PowerCon and we shot a ton of interviews at PowerCon. And that's when this whole The Return of Faker really came to a head. I had heard about The Return of Faker, this unofficial fan love letter that he had done, this homage to Filmation and the people that really shaped his appreciation for animation uh, for like three years. Because he'd been showing clips and he had been talking about it and he basically wanted to recreate a He-Man cartoon not even look and style and feel, but in the process. Filmation is known for reusing movement and their same as library so that you get a lot of the same sequences in motion is copy and pasted from one episode to another with a different background. And that's the, the approach that James took for this. And I thought, oh, that's really fascinating. And then I got to see part of his presentation at PowerCon where he explained how he did this. And I thought, wow, that's great. And then in the same breath, he also talked about the cease and desist that he got. Yes. I thought, oh, this is too good to pass up. Here's a, here's a man who loves cartoons and loves 80s cartoons and animation has completely shaped his life. And if you've seen any of my work, with the exception of Power of Grayskull, <laughs> all of my films usually follow a personal story. Mm-hmm. So what is going on today that gives me credence and the ability to go tell uh, a bigger history lesson or delve into an industry. Right. James is trying to get this cartoon out there. Let's talk about cartoon history as we follow his journey. And it was the perfect match that allows us to go back to the late fifties when cartoons first started, when people everywhere, broadcasters are trying to figure out how do we create something for kids the time was there, but the content wasn't. And that's when we first started to get like cartoon shorts that were originally uh, intended for the theater, right. where you have a short and then the feature. A lot of those shorts got repackaged and put together and became part of Saturday Morning. We had our first foray into primetime cartoons. That didn't work. And of course, you know, there's stuff that kids need to do in the morning through the week and after school through the week. So that's when we got cartoons as well. And just charting that evolution and to see who the players were and the role of Filmation in particular, which was a pioneering studio at the beginning of the Saturday morning forefront. It's just like James is doing something that's related to Filmation. Filmation is a pioneering studio. This is all tied to the world of animation and cartoon culture. I have to do this documentary. And I, when I talked to Erica Scheimer about this, she's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm on board. Let, let me know how I can help. And I said, well, honestly, it was your interview for Power of Grayskull that has been stuck in my head for the last three or four years when you kept talking about your father, Lou Scheimer, yes. who started Filmation, uh, being at the forefront of the cartoon animation industry in America. And of course, that Filmation story is beautiful on its own right, starting you know, with Lou, who hails from Pittsburgh and then coming to L.A. and being the last American animation studio yes. and then finally succumbing because they got bought out. There's just so there's so much beauty to it. And it allows us to do so much that 
I, I can't wait to really dive in feet first to see what happens with James, of course, and what's going to happen with the return of Faker. Is he going to be able to get it out there under Correct. what conditions? Will he throw caution to the wind? Because, you know what, screw it. You know, three and a half years de- demands an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just to revisit with people from Filmation, that some of which that I, that I admit, others that we didn't get to meet for Power of Grayskull, and really focus not just on He-Man and Shearer this time, but all the other cartoons, you know, right. Fat Albert, Black Star, the Ghostbusters, everything. Let's do it. And and the thing is, you really start bright, which I'm sure you guys have, and James got has an encyclopedic knowledge of these things. You start looking at those end credits from any of those filmation shows, the the list of names on there and what not only came before, but especially what yeah. came after. All of those guys yeah. went on to amazing careers. Some of them even outside of animation. I mean, you got just off the top of my head, you got J. Michael Straczynski, you got Paul Dini, I mean, Larry Houston, um, Bruce Tim was a layout artist. I mean, yeah, uh, the, so- the reach is far and wide. It, it's quite incredible. I mean, even David Wise, who's no longer with us, sadly, yes. wrote so many of the TMNT episodes. Gwen Wetzler. You know, she started her career at Disney. She said when she was a little girl, she had uh, a dream to be a Disney animator. And she got to do that. And then she decided to work at Filmation. And she was one of the the only women directors Mm -hmm. out there. It was was fantastic. And she won an Emmy for, I believe, her work on Fat Albert. She was the one that did the the original Grayskull commercial and did Mm -hmm. the true 24 frame uh, animation that sold the playset, and then of course that was like, oh, maybe there's a cartoon series here. So basically, you know, yeah, a lot of her work and involvement was how the series got got going. So there's and there's just tons of stories like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you can you could from go. Everybody. That's the thing. I mean, you're looking at this, and there's or I'm looking at this, and it's like there are so many avenues to go down, and that's what's so exciting about this. Um, so. There, there- there's nothing. There's no shortage of discussion no. or, or things to cover. But this is the great part about Kickstarters, and we're on Kickstarter right now with Faking Filmation. We had our initial goal of thirty thousand. We you, surpassed that. Then we then we had a second goal of yeah. thirty seven five to get alternate yeah. artwork. We passed that. Then we had a goal of fifty thousand for an expanded version of the film that would allow us to basically shoot more and include more. We passed that, and so like every time we get you know, a little bit further down the road, we get to cover more and interview people. And the best part about that is create more and more bonus content. So right. the film that we're doing is going to be, you know, 90 minutes, maybe in maybe two hours. But what is all this other stuff? And what can we share? And can we cobble together some of these other interviews that expand upon some topics that we only get to touch upon in the main film? And do we get to do roundtables with, you know, you know, former filmation people like what well, that that'll be a fun thing to show people. Do we get to, you know, look at somebody's private filmation, you know, art archives and, and share that stuff. If we've, we've got the time right. and we're going to be with these people anyways, what can we create to share to give our backers that ultimate experience? So that's where we are. And, I, and I'm a full believer in let's shoot as much as we can and then shape it later knowing that there is nothing that ever gets wasted. Right. And so uh, you beat me to it. I was going to hold the drama a little bit more, but congrats to all you guys blowing through those, those goals. I mean, I know when it, when you initially threw it out there, 
it went uh, went online eight days ago today, right? Last Tuesday. Yeah, April sixth is when it went online, depending on when people listen or watch this. April. 6th. So it went online April sixth. Today's the fourteenth. You guys blew through your big goal in you know six seven days, depending on where the clock hit when it happened. Um, God, that's got to feel amazing. And and so what do you what do you do now? I mean, you've already blown out all your stretch goals. What can we do? Well, first of all, it's surreal. And you and I were have been talking off offline and in private chats for the last week or so as we've been arranging our discussion today. And I, I completely transparently said to you, I didn't know if he would get funded. James thought, well, maybe we'll hit the thirty thousand in twenty twenty five days of the thirty day yeah. campaign. And I said, well, James, you know, no offense. I've done like six or seven Kickstarters. Kickstarter is a lot different than it was 10 years ago when I first started using crowdfunding. And it's a little bit harder to get people to basically take a pitch from your couch saying, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to take three years. Be patient, but I'll do it. And that's essentially what we did. We showcased it. It's very professional. Of course, James has a lot of credibility and clout. And I've done a lot of stuff as well. But I mean, this is my film. James is just the subject. He has nothing to do with the film. He has nothing to do with the production. I'm just following him in his journey, which is only, like we said, one part of what you're going to get with Faking Filmation. So I didn't know that we were ever going to hit the mark. And then the numbers started coming in. I was like, oh my God, like people are loving this. Yeah. I was like, I, I, I don't even, I still don't know how to respond to what's going on. I really don't. Yeah, because you hit um, that. What, said, what happens next, you know, the, to answer your question, yeah. well, we have a mystery stretch goal at $65,000 that we'll unveil in a few days to our backers, unless we hit it before the Friday deadline that, that okay. we've uh, tentatively set. Uh, we will unveil that, and that'll be another treat that'll benefit a lot of people if we're able to, to get it. The goal right now is basically to get the word out there. We think that the the hardcore people that are in our circles, our 500 plus closest, <laughs> you know, best friends yeah. are aware of it. And that's why they've backed it. But even our faking filmation page on Facebook has over a thousand likes and it's only like a month or two old. We don't have a thousand backers. So no. there are still people that don't know about it or haven't committed to it yet for a bunch of reasons. So we really need to get the word out there. And it's not about getting, you know, people on the $1,000 pledge tiers or the $200 ones or the sponsored tier at 2500 for those people that want to have their name <laughs> and the logo of their podcast or their convention at the top of the film. That's right. not about that. That's cool if that's what you want. But we just want to make sure that you can get the $20 digital bundle, that you can get in on it, that you get all these goodies that everybody else gets and just help spreading the word. So we're basically in the mode of, getting the word out there right now. And that's what we got to do. It's less about the stretch goals and more about let's make sure everybody knows. Cause once that window closes, it's over and I'll get tons of people saying, I missed it. I couldn't do it. I didn't get paid taxes. Things were tough. I get it. Yeah. When the film is released, however it gets released later, that's when you'll have to do it. This is a one, one and done Kickstarter is all or nothing. We've passed that initial goal. Mm -hmm. This is your chance to get on board now. And and I think and I think that might be a part of it too. I know there are those people, even though Kickstarter is set up nicely, where you're you close on May sixth, and so that is when you know all of our pledges will come due, um, which which I think is fabulous. That way, people can jump in. They can 
it gives them time to add on whatever and then settle up at the end of it. But I think some people do hesitate. They go, well, what if it doesn't make it? And they're leery about that. So, you know, know that, guys. Just get on their pledge. You know, it's it's happened. You hit the 30. You hit yeah. your goal. You hit the 50. Um, as of right now in the recording, I just pulled it up. It's You're sitting at $55,116. So we only got just under ten grand to go to hit your 65 mystery goal. I mean, that's... Amazing. I'm one who I thought you would hit the 50,000, but I thought it would be the coming down to the wire. Hey guys, we got five days left. We're almost there. You know, let's get, let's get a little more in this. You know, I, even in my wildest dreams, and I have been championing this for a long time, ever since James first announced it, I never thought you guys would hit it that quick. And, um, yeah, I, I still don't know what to say. All, all I can say <laughs> is thank you to all the supporters like yourself, like everybody else that has different, you know, masters groups or filmation groups or cartoon groups or documentary fans. Um, it's the one nice thing about having created so many pop culture documentaries at this point and being a part of a few different scenes, depending on what you're into. I've got a little bit of a track record now where I've done stuff and I've gotten it out there, especially with Power of Grayskull. I mean, had that not be out there and people not responded the way that they did to it, I think this may be a different story. If James Etock wasn't part of this campaign and this wasn't focused on him, again, I think it's a different story. But those are things that we can't ignore. Uh, And there's been a lot of people that have helped make this happen. Even the trailer, I had a good friend of mine, Nathan, help me just source a bunch of cartoon clips so that we could include that in there on top of everything. I was sending messages back and forth to James. I'm like, James, I need these kind of shots. I need this kind of material. What can you do? Help me out. Give me this stuff so I can build this trailer. And he was on pins and needles because he didn't get to see the trailer until like three or four days before it went live to everybody. I'm like, dude, I am so busy with so many things right now. I am trying to get to it. I know what I want it to be. Just be patient. He's like, okay. And then he watched. He's like, oh my God, this is great. This this is awesome. It's everything that I wanted to be. I'm like, okay, cool. And then here we are now. I don't know where it's going to end up. Um, we do have a couple things planned. Like I said, we have that $65,000 mystery goal. And when that gets unleashed, I, I can tell you this, that anybody that has basically backed um, a physical product, which I think is starts right at the DVD. So DVD and higher. Right. Um, they'll get something. Um, we try to keep the digital backers away from it because there's no shipping built into their tier so they can just kind of enjoy the content. And I know what that's like. I back a lot of documentaries just as a digital thing because I want to check it out. Don't necessarily need it on my shelf. Um, but if you're a, a physical backer, when we hit that 65, when, hopefully, you'll get something really kind of cool. And we think we think people are going to lose their minds over it. And that's only, uh, if you're talking any physical, that's only 29 or more, right? The standard DVD counts? Yeah, that's right. So okay. I don't know how it's going to work for the VHS backers yet because mm. they'll definitely get it. It's, I don't know, it, it's hard to say. I can't <laughs> say too much. Sure, sure. If we hit the goal, you'll understand what I mean. All righty. And, um, but I'm just saying, I mean, that's how affordable this is. Get $29. I mean, that's... I know guys who spend more of that in Starbucks at Starbucks in three days, you know? So that's, yeah. I mean, you get in for $29, you get a physical copy, you get digital copies of everything. And you know, you get something awesome if we hit the stretch goal. Um, and I, I will say that is one of the questions. If you want to address it here, people have been asking online, 
are you going to introduce more mid-range tiers, especially as things are getting closed up, some of them were limited, um, so why don't you go ahead and take that one? Yeah, uh, are we going to add more mid-range tiers? Probably not. There's only so much that we can do. Some of those mid-range tiers I've already expanded and added yeah. more slots than initially planned. And now I'm just at the point where if I were to include more chances for people to be in the film, I would be uncomfortable and that I wouldn't be able to do them and their presence and their footage and their responses justice. Okay. You know, we've got, I think, 25 or so, I think maybe 30 when you look at some of the other tiers that offer it as well, slots to be in the film. Well, that's a lot of people for a 90 minute to two hour film, which is why we also say, you know, end, end credits, you could be there giving a memory or mm-hmm. bonus features as well. So there's a, we got a little bit of flexibility in how that works. Adding more tiers like that only makes it more difficult and more complicated to uh, justify the experience to both the tiers that may be above it in cost and, and below it. Finding those sweet spots is really hard. So when I designed the campaign, it was pretty, very specific in mind. We will look to do some more add-ons. So Kickstarter literally just announced their beta for add-on items because in the past it was, I'm going to back at this reward level and I'll get everything that's in this predefined box. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there would be an additional campaign after like a backer kit where you could add on like a poster or a t-shirt or something. Now Kickstarter has realized if they built that functionality in, they can you know make money off of those additional items. So having add-ons as little things that people can choose to add extra discs, a VHS copy of faking filmation, a poster, that kind of thing, I think is, is something that's easier for us to control so that if we were to do like a second poster or uh, put a t-shirt up or a pin or something, then that's a way that everybody can do it without having to be out of their comfort zone. And then they can gauge if they want to spend that money on just that one thing uh, versus creating this whole reward tier with, you know, conditions and requirements for it to work yeah i like it and that that was going to be the next question where are the t-shirts where are the posters is there a chance well t-shirts are very tricky t-shirts are very tricky thankfully we work with retro rags uh posters are up there already as an add-on you can get our official poster through them if you add it onto your pledge and that'll be through retro rags as well motu joe runs that shindig for us T-shirts are really tough. You got to remember, you've got to have T-shirt styles for, you know, men and women and then mm-hmm. multiple sizes. So, you know, you're talking small, medium, large, extra large, double X, triple X. And that's a lot of, you know, inventory to house when you have minimum requirements and stuff like that. So we're very leery of stuff like that. And T-shirts obviously increase the shipping container that stuff has to come in, which includes shipping right. prices. And then half our backers or at least about 40% of our backers are overseas as well. Mm-hmm. So that's an expensive thing for them to take on as well. So we're looking at, I mean, shipping is out of our hands. If you want yep. it and you want to pay the shipping, that's that's a decision that you get to make. I'm a firm believer in let you decide then remove the option from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people are like messaging us. They're like, why is my shipping like $75? I'm like, well, because you've got the Blu-ray, you've got a right. poster, you've got two additional Blu-rays, you've got a VHS. And each of those costs, you know, five or six dollars, even when you're adding it on into the same package. And some of that stuff is going to get shipped from other places. Like people are selecting James Etox's personal sketches that he's doing. And they're yep. going to ship from James up in England, not from us. So that's a completely separate shipping thing. And that's why the cost is the way that it is. Uh, we're doing what we can. This, we're not a retail store. I, I, I am me. I don't even <laughs> have a team. It's just me. Right. And 
you know, James and James is doing a, a crap ton of promotional work, work for the campaign. And if it wasn't for that, I don't know where we would be, of course. Um, but it's just me. I don't have a giant company. I hire people on that I work with routinely for all these projects for the sake of production. But before in development and writing, it's me. And post-production, it's me. So here I am. I'm not there a store. I don't have, you know, skews of tchotchkes or action figures that that I can, you know, whip up without legal, you know, infringement and stuff. Uh, I'm doing what I can to yep. get to to satiate everybody's excitement. And I should say another thing that you and I talked about offline yep. is the cost of Kickstarter and what the actual dollar amount that we end up with. So we're at, you know, $55,000 right now. Let's just say 60 for for a round number. Let's say we end mm-hmm. at $60,000. Well, Kickstarter takes 10% right off the top. 5% for their platform fees and 5% for credit card fees. So 10%. So now we're at 54. Right. The 54,000 also represents shipping charges that are in there as well. So somebody from Germany that's paying 35 or 70 bucks depending on what they got. That number is built into that. So we lose probably another 20%. Okay, so 54 now. Now we're down to 42, yep. maybe a little bit less. So we're we're about two thirds of what you see there is is kind of where we begin. And then the cost of discs, mm-hmm. you know, add up the cost of posters, the actual material, anybody that we have to hire to right. to help us fulfill this, because that 500 backers for me to do it by myself would take a few months. It might be what happens where I do you know, <laughs> 10 to 20 packages a day and then and then ship them off and then get done. But um, if we got to hire people, then that's what we got to do. So it's about half the number that you see there is what we'll end up having for the budget for the film, which obviously won't cover all our costs. Legal, right. legal and insurance for a film is 10000 alone. Travel, hotel, lodgings. I mean, there's probably going to be four or five of us on the production side. Meals for how many shooting days. Travel, mm-hmm. gas. It, it adds up. Making movies is not cheap. Right. And and that was eye opening for me. I'm glad I'm glad you felt comfortable sharing it. And that's and that's why yeah. I asked about the mid range cheers too. I love your transparency. I love how you're up front. And um, and I guess I just want to put out there. But obviously, I mean, this is your fourth Kickstarter. I could be wrong there. I'm going off memory. I don't but, even know at this point. I've done more <laughs> I've than done, that. I've done a bunch. I guess I guess what I'm getting at though is is just to to bookend that is. You knew this going into it. You knew that when you set these goals, when you set those tiers. So everything you've done has been very purposeful. What you have done, what you haven't done, and what you're putting out there. Oh, yeah. It's all by design. I mean, I would love to charge, you know, $15 for a DVD if I could. Mm -hmm. But I know that, like, a goods cost on a DVD the the slipcase, the art insert, the disc, the shrink wrap, and the shipping alone is you know, $9 yeah. plus the design cost for the actual artwork on top of that. And now then you have to look at, okay, well, what's my markup? Because if this mm-hmm. is costing me $12 out of pocket for every one, how right. much do I have to make on this in order to help the film? Well, you kind of multiply it by two, right? right. So um, that's where our budget is, is coming from. And, and it's unfortunate, but, you know, if we sell more discs, sell pre-order through Kickstarter, right then obviously our costs go down because the units don't cost as right. much, but it's not like a huge savings. We're not doing right. tens and thousands of these like, you know, Warner Brothers would. But again, all that really does is, okay, if we can get the discs up, your cost goes down, but you sold them for the same price. So that's more money I get to put into the film. 
that means that's right. We might potentially get an interview with Gwen that we wouldn't have gotten because you would have ran out of funds before that. I mean, I'm not. It's I'm a, it's that, honestly really that simple. Yeah. No, it's it's honestly really that simple. When when we hit these like, you know, barriers, these these milestones, right? They really trigger a lot. You know, mm-hmm. if we get a thousand dollars more than we are today, and it ends, how many more interviews does that add up to? It's hard to say right now. Uh, on the campaign page, you know, I put up there, what's the difference between 30 and 50,000? Yeah. It's like, well, we'll be able to shoot a lot less. Right. It's it's that simple. And how does that impact the film? Well, with more filming and shooting, you get to see more people. You get to see more of everything. And what you don't see in the film, you'll get to have in the bonus features. So, you know, hitting 75, hitting $100,000, the film will only always be better as a result. Right. No, I... I love it. I'm looking forward to it. I and and I like putting it all out there so that everybody knows. I'm I manage a grocery store. I completely understand where you're coming from. You know, a lot of times yeah. people who aren't in the know, and even I didn't. I mean, I understand the profit and everything, but I didn't realize how expensive these things can really get to. I mean, when you stop and think about it, it makes sense. But a lot of people don't think that. You know, they're just thinking about what they're getting. You know, I'm paying 30 bucks for yeah. a DVD, you know, and it's like, no, you, the, the hands are in, it's in our hands, the viewers, the consumers, what we're going to get. And that's, that's the best part yeah. of all this. Yeah. I mean, to give people an idea of, you know, the cost to make a movie, we typically run a, a cost anywhere from a thousand to $1,500 a day is what it costs us with a crew depending on what's going on and that's no travel. So if ever everybody was in the same town, what is everybody's fee plus equipment costs and insurance to shoot that every day. Right. And so again, looking at 30 to 50,000, well, there's $20,000 difference. We can get about 20 more shoot days out of this. Nice. Nice. So, uh, well, it's great. I love it. I love being a filmmaker. I love being able to do Kickstarters because I, feel like it's a great galvanization point for the community to come together and get excited by it um it's cool to talk with people like yourselves and you know share those feels about what this could be and where it could go and then it's also nice that once it's over and done it's like okay the pressure's on let's get together let's organize it and let's let's make this thing wicked and and keep talking about it on the way and i love sharing updates with people Stuff that I would find, you know, is day to day to me and routine excite other people. You know, I had this interview or this happened or like we got a flat tire. Like people love the story of the story. So right. that's been a, a fun thing I've done in the last few campaigns, just sharing as much as I can. That that makes sense. And uh, the last question I had real quick here, I don't know how much I, I don't think you'll probably be able to go into specifics, but just to give people a kind of an idea based on your previous documentaries. Um, I got some people that are wanting to know what the requirements are going to be for the tiers where you get to be in the film. I think some people are worried about whether they'll be able to participate. So, I mean, are you looking for, you need like, I'm sure not, but like a studio sound sound booth and lighting and everything, or uh, I think that's where they're coming from. What, you know, what do I need to do if I back that tier? Well, thankfully, everybody has a fairly decent camera in their pocket now with their cell phone at the very least. You know, we we would prefer 4K resolution shooting. Um, You're wearing earbuds right now. That gives pretty good audio quality with the mic built in. And then the ancillary stuff like recording in a quiet room, 
where you know you don't have kids dropping Lego above your head is always nice. <laughs> Uh, and having nice lighting that goes a long way, but Hey, you know, while I will not be at PowerCon this year because Canada's vaccine rollout is abysmal on a global level, we are sending a crew to PowerCon. So if you're going to be at PowerCon and you are backing that tier, we will arrange to chat with you there and shoot you with our cameras so that we can get you uh, in the can. We will be visiting a lot of different places to make this film happen. And we will let people know through updates like, hey, we're going to be in Nashville or we're going to be in New York or we're going to be in England. Uh, Any backers that are from there that have that tier, let's let's plan to meet up so we can talk to you. Failing that, if you're in an area where we're going to interview somebody else, we could come to you. Failing that, we can figure out something remotely where it's similar to like a Zoom thing and capture it. Uh, for documentaries, content is always king. It's mm-hmm. about what people say the most. Quality is kind of second on the level. Like there are broadcast requirements where it has to be of a certain quality level. Uh, but that's why we have bonus features. And that's right. why we can put some of that stuff that might not be technically proficient at a certain level. We can make you still part of some important discussions and, and moments. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, I think that's about all I have. If there's anything else you want to share here at the end, um, feel free. Yeah, basically just want to say thank you for everybody that's supported the campaign so far. It's overwhelming, it's touching, and anything that you can do to basically help us get the word out more, if you've got podcasts, radio shows, news outlets, blogs, uh, websites, YouTube channels, and you feel like this is something you want to talk about, go ahead, talk about it. If you want to ask myself any questions, I'm happy to answer. James is pretty friendly with responses. If you want to have either myself or him on as a guest, just reach out. We will try to make it work. Like I said, right now, it's the numbers game of getting the campaign in front of as many people as possible so that they get to enjoy it and experience. And everybody that jumps on board makes it better for the whole. Uh, it's It's that simple, but I'm extremely ecstatic that I get to tell this story and I can cross off cartoon based documentary (laughs) on my pop culture resume. Is there, uh, is there anything you're looking to the future here? Is there anything you're looking forward to do that's on that list? You know, you're crossing off cartoon with this one. What, what bounces around in Rob's head? What's what, what do you want to get to at some point? Is there something else? Sleep. (laughs) I would love to get to sleep. I don't know what vacation. I don't know what vacation is. I don't know what being bored is. Uh, I love what I do. It's not a job. It's it is work, but I I absolutely love it. And anything that you can think of is it's probably on my list. Comic books or return to video games. You know, records, CDs, anything. You know, quintessentially seventies, eighties, nineties. It's 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 on there. I I love making films, and if I think there's a worthy story to tell, usually in that formula of what's going on today that makes it worthy talking about what happened then. Right. That's probably something that I'll look at. But no shortage of ideas uh, or opportunities right now, which I'm very very thankful for. Do you see yourself ever doing another? power of grayskull type documentary where it was just entirely the subject in the history or have you preferred your modern day subject you know being the mirror looking back at the past i never say never i i just think there's something that helps make you know that brand that canon that 
thing, that subject matter more special when we can point to something happening within that today. And I think it becomes more relatable. And I think the story becomes more human. Uh, In fact, there is another He-Man present day story I would love to tell, but I don't know what part of Masters I would tell in order to, to justify it. Maybe it'll be just a short documentary who knows, or tie into something else that I do, but it's a, it's a cool idea. And that would be about the only He-Man thing that I can think of. And who knows, it may even be part of faking filmation since it's already in my back pocket. Would I do it with another brand like mask GI Joe transformers, turtles, uh, Thundercats, Silverhawks, maybe. Yeah. But I, I always feel people can pick up a book or go to Wikipedia and read that stuff or just glean it from podcasts. So let's do something that nobody else can do, and that's follow a story as it comes to fruition. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, and now just the last thing before we wrap up here. Uh, Rob is going to reveal that 65,000 mystery stretch goal for all of you viewers, right, Rob? Yeah, if you just follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Rob McZob, on Instagram at Rob McCallum Films, or go to my website, robmczob.com, you will find all the information you need except... What is that mystery $65,000 stretch goal we have on our Faking Filmation page? It will be revealed on Friday, so I urge you to back the campaign, get on it now, so you get that mystical, magical answer right away. The sorceress is casting a spell to try to remove the mysterious (laughs) shroud of darkness that's over that information. And hopefully on Friday, she thinks she'll have a crack that Eternian code and be able to reveal those fabulous secret answers. Yeah, there you go, guys. I'm sorry. I tried. Uh, it's locked up tighter than Grayskull right now. So uh, we do want to thank Rob for coming on today. All you guys out there, take a look. Got all the links down below. Follow Rob. Follow James. Follow Faking Filmation. Check out the Kickstarter. Hit, buy some retro rag swag from Motu Joe. Um Click everything. Get Action Figure Adventure from Big Bad Toy Store. I still need to ship my pile of loot where it's sitting right now. I'll get on that today. Maybe. As soon as I do something else, I'll hit it, and that'll tick me off. Uh, But thanks, Rob. You've been great, and uh, we wish you guys all the success, and I have no doubt I'm putting on record that you will hit that 65,000 stretch goal. um, Thank you, sir. Look forward to the next time I can come around. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back. We'll have to have James on. Uh, and it's going to be great. So as we say here at Legends of Grayskull, thank you guys, and until next time. Oh, come on. Oh, Oh!